I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Saw. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Run over the cuckoo. Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is April 18th, 1966, at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium in Santa Monica, California. It's our good host, Bob Hope, always here, always, uh, always uh, a pleasure. Um, and uh, it's time for the big award of the night, the best picture of 1965. Sam, could you get us the envelope, please? I sure will. And the winner is... Sound of Music. How do you the solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> of mu- well, I mean, we solve it by giving her an Oscar. Well, not her specifically, <laughs> but lots of other Oscars for her movie. <laughs> That's very true. Quite a few for her movie. Um, uh-huh. Okay, so here we are in 1965. Um, tell me about this ceremony. What did you find out about this ceremony? Well, you know... Um, this is uh this was a the the battle of the of the heavyweight um uh epic films in 1965. We got two very different epics that we'll be discussing uh a little bit later in more detail. Um but what I think is really what's really important to mention about this particular year is that in this year 1965 two big epic films we are seeing what Hollywood's uh current structure is as far as how they are making movies they are pouring everything they've got into these big budget epics they send the cast and the crew off on location to get sweeping uh cinemascope um and better than cinemascope you know 70 millimeter um uh shots and uh just the most uh, most money that you could ever imagine being poured into movies is being poured into movies. And the, basically the entire idea is we're going to gamble everything we got on this movie and hope that it's a box office bonanza. And that is how they're fighting um, television at this point in time. And uh, I think that this year probably showcases that maybe more than any other just because um, – of our Best Picture nominees, we have two movies that are huge. Oh, yeah, absolutely enormous. And both made a bunch of money. Sound of Music becoming the biggest box office um, success of all time, beating Gone with the Wind. And, yeah, as you said, Dr. Zivago, not very far behind it. No, um, definitely definitely not. It's certainly um, not very hard behind Gone with the Wind in length. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> uh, I'd also seen as well um, that this is the first year the Oscars was broadcast in color. So I think the ceremony itself is also starting to compete with other uh, TV shows and entries, you know, at in their time slot. They're trying to also kind of up their own ante and their budget and whatnot to make it more of a spectacle, uh, a show you can't miss every year. And broadcasting it in color, I think, is an important step uh, in achieving that. Oh, for certain, for certain. Um, and, uh, I mean, 
I love I love looking through the list of presenters that they have for you know various years and just oh, yeah. noting how like star studded this uh, this this time feels when you see that oh it's uh, um, Lana Turner and James Garner doing costume design and and uh, then I'm sure Milton Berle and Phyllis Stiller were hilarious doing the documentary awards this year. And, <laughs> um, and you got Natalie Wood doing best song and Shirley MacLaine doing director and Jack Lemmon hands out best picture. Julie Andrews does best actress. Rex Harrison does best actor, of course, since they won the previous year, long time tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, this, this seems like um, the, the ceremony itself is in full swing as a star studded event of the season. Definitely. And, and now really starting to resemble this ceremony that we still see every single year. Will we see it this year? I don't know. TBD. Who knows yet? <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll see something. We'll see something. I don't know if it'll look anything like Oscars we've seen before, but... Very true, very true. Is there a certain uh, award category uh, that stuck out to you in this year of 1965? Absolutely, yes. I want to spotlight a Best Actress performance uh, by... Elizabeth Hartman, nominated for A Patch of Blue. I just watched this movie a few days ago, actually, in kind of preparation for this episode. And uh, I gotta say, this movie really kind of took me, uh, not only the film, but also the entire story of Elizabeth Hartman as an actress and kind of the tragic ending that she had to her own life. Uh, Real briefly here, A Patch of Blue, if you guys haven't seen it, it is the story Um, Of Elizabeth Hartman, she plays an 18-year-old blind girl who's living essentially in poverty with a very abusive mother who uh, works as a prostitute and also her elderly grandfather. Uh, And then one day she meets Sidney Poitier uh, in the park while she's doing work on beads. She basically just strings beads all day. That's, That's her job. And the two kind of strike up this friendship, which kind of later develops into more than a friendship. Uh, but the thing to the key here is that she doesn't know that he's black, obviously, being blind. She just um, develops a relationship with him outside of that. But when her mother finds out, um, she tries to sell her into prostitution with her. But she's able to escape with the help of uh, Sidney Poitier to a school for the blind. So it does have a happy ending. But this movie is just bogged down with tragedy, one tragedy after another. It's insane to me. And there was also a lot of controversy around this film. We talked about last episode, we're uh, diving into the civil rights movement now in the United States. And this movie came out very much in the heat of that um, of that turmoil. And there are actually scenes in here where Elizabeth Hartman and Poitier uh, kiss. And when this movie was being shown in the southern states, they had to cut those scenes out. Oh, my God. Uh, Isn't that insane? I mean, it's insane (laughs) to us now. But, you know, you think about it back in 1965, and I guess I understand why they did it. But, good Lord, isn't that just ridiculous? I mean, I... (laughs) (laughs) i mean who would have who would have thought um yeah interesting interesting absolutely insane and this movie also is a little dated now just because it's still had to work under the production code so they don't actually say like prostitution or whorehouse they say things like uh one of those places or (laughs) there's like a line where 
uh, Selena, that's Elizabeth Hartman's character, she asks her mom, um, oh, you're going to give me a job doing what? And all her mom says is, never you mind. <laughs> like, they just apparently <laughs> have to, like, kind of, like, just allude to it, you know what I mean? Uh, so I they mean, have to I work around. I... I mean, I think that's something that I think both of us probably appreciate and that we only have another year or so of enjoying, you know, yeah. the, the codedness of the production code. In case anyone hasn't been paying attention, we're all the way up to 65, which means next year we get a movie that goes, that literally flies in the face of the production code. Absolutely. And um, that is kind of the the straw that breaks the camel's back and... And um, after that, we get to uh, get some raciness on screen um, and uh, really starting in uh, starting kind of with 67, but really in 68, it just uh, it, everything becomes so adult. And I mean, and that, more more to come on on we're, we're we're taking things out of out of high school. At the Absolutely Oscars. We are. That's very true. <laughs> um, um, but Elizabeth anyway. Hartman herself, she was an unknown actress uh, who was kind of plucked out of obscurity to play this character. And they actually made a short film about that called A Cinderella Named Elizabeth. It just kind of shows her screen testing. And this is also when they used to do what was called a personality test on actresses. I don't know if you've heard about this, but they would just sit the actress in a room and they would just ask her or him everyday questions kind of seeing how they naturally react to um, on the spot questioning to see I, i'm guessing to see if her actual personality kind of matches that of the character um mm -hmm. and it absolutely does i mean she plays the part with just such gentle sensitivity that you instantly feel sorry for her and this situation that she's found herself in i mean it's heartbreaking when you you learn how she was blind it was uh, in an incident with her mother when she was a child, her mother was um, engaged in, I don't know what you say, is sex with a client, I guess, and uh, he got abusive and she was throwing a, like, like a bottle of chemicals at him but it missed and it hit her in the face and that's what blinded her. And then later in her more adult, I think when she becomes a teenager, another one of her mom's clients um, uh, rapes her. So you just see all this trauma on this poor girl. Um, yeah, and it, it's hard not to just instantly feel for her in all these situations. Uh, but the real tragedy here is that Elizabeth Hartman's life was pretty much just as tragic as her character's life. Um, she ended up having a pretty okay and good career in movies um, and on the stage as well. She was in Francis Ford Coppola's movie, You're a Big Boy Now, which she was nominated for another Golden Globe for. And then she played um, Laura from The Last Menagerie on the stage once as well. So she kind of has a, had a very good little career. But all throughout her life, she suffered from mental health issues, depression, anxiety. And she was actually institutionalized for this several times. Um, and she ended up actually quitting acting in 1982 after her final role, which was a voice performance in, get ready for this, The Secret of Nim, which is one of my favorite animated movies. I had no idea. She's Mrs. Brisby. Have you seen that movie? No, Sam. I, I oh, no. You have to. <laughs> oh, I love that movie so much. Um well, am I, am I too old for it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't, no, absolutely not. It's kind of one of those animated films that is a bit more adult as well. Mm. Kind of has some heavy adult themes. But she's the voice of Mrs. Brisby, which was 
just kind of mind blowing to me when I discovered that because I'm like, absolutely, that is her voice. Yes, it is, hundred <laughs> um, percent. But then five years after that retirement, she jumped out of her fifth story window in her apartment and killed herself. Good God! Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's really oh kind my of gosh. yeah, it's really eerie now, like knowing that and then seeing her in this debut performance and how much tragedy there is and how much of that was probably real. And it yeah, it just blows me away. Wow, what a wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean so I that's don't why even... I wanted to spotlight that performance because it is worth it to see. I think she does, you know, an amazing job and now kind of knowing the backstory of her and her life, uh, it makes it even more poignant. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um wow, I, I that will that'll improve my viewing experience hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um incredible. How about you? What would you like to spotlight uh, this episode, Rance? Well, you know, um, I was looking at it. This is such a nice uh, scattershot year. And there's several people who I just really, really love who end up going home with the Oscars this year. Um, and uh, I'm sure I'll be name-checking them as the episode goes on. Um, but uh, two things that I, I wanted to say here. First of all, I we talked in with 1963... Um, a couple of weeks ago about how we had some of the, the strangeness of the 1960s starting to work it work its way into film, mm -hmm. you know, the, um, the, the hippie like culture, even though it didn't exist yet um, in 1963, really um, it starts to sneak in as the decades uh, go on as the decade goes on. And um, I, I will say there are two just absolutely uh, bizarre uh, movies I noticed in our acting nominations, uh, one of which is called Inside Daisy Clover. It's a nomination <laughs> yes. for supporting actress with uh, Ruth Gordon. And that movie is, um, it's just, it has some kind of psychedelic qualities to it, but it's about a, um, uh, Robert Redford plays a uh, closeted actor. Uh, well, he's not the star. It it stars uh, Natalie Wood, and she's Daisy Clover. She becomes a big star, and she ends up mar marrying a closeted actor, played by Robert Redford, uh -huh. which is just crazy town in 1965. Um, but the way that they tell the story is so, like, mid-60s, because um, there's, like, one... They show a scene within a scene. It supposedly takes place in the 1930s. They don't even pretend that it's the 1930s with the with the costume design or hair design or anything. <laughs> but um, but there's a um, there's a scene where Natalie Wood um, sings. She's really uh, somebody's lip syncing. Uh, she's lip syncing to someone else's voice. Um, uh, a song called, called I'll Plant My Own Tree and I'll Make It Grow. Um, and she's singing it in the movie within the movie on... Uh, the planet Saturn. <laughs> what? Wait, 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 what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, it's exactly as kooky as it sounds. <laughs> and, you know, and like, she's like dancing on the rings of Saturn. I mean, that's exactly what's happening. I'm not exaggerating. This is what happens in the scene within a scene. And it's one of the things that, you know, makes her a, a, a quote unquote star in the movie. But then well, there's then. also like that weirdness is juxtaposed, juxtaposed with, um, with like a, like one really effective scene where she kind of goes crazy and she has to dub a line. 
she goes to a soundstage to do um, ADR uh-huh. for a scene, and they keep playing the um, the line over and over again, and she's in a soundproof booth, you know, and mm-hmm. the camera closes in on her as the repeated line and what's going on in her life lead to her kind of going crazy. And she ends up screaming inside the booth, but of course you can't hear her because she's inside the sound booth. Oh, um, sure. So there's like some really effective moments like that. But then it's just like um, such a mix max hodgepodge. You have some progression going with the plot, but it also is kind of psychedelic, but it's also something kind of fun, but it's also, you can't take it too seriously because it's so weird. But um, I feel like that's such a good snapshot of where the 60s is going at this point in time. So I, I had to, oh, I definitely. had to mention. Yeah. I it sounds like an awful lot of like crossroads kind of all gathered together in one crazy Hollywood story. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, to a, uh, to a lesser extent, um, cat blue is a, is a strange movie too. Um, but it's kind of fun, but it's kind of weird, but it ends up mm-hmm. winning, uh, Lee Marvin best actor. Cat blue, the character is, um, is actually uh, 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 Jane Fonda in the movie. Right. Um, but Lee Marvin uh, plays... It's it's just weird. It's a weird movie. It's all weird. Um, but it's a Western. <laughs> but it's... Um, my point is here that in 65, we're getting a real... Um, we're, we're progressing towards the late 60s really really fast and definitely <laughs> by yeah. the time I we mean, get to 68 69 we're gonna just see full-on strangeness definitely i mean the fact that like a comedic western wins best actor that's just very bizarre <laughs> yeah have you seen capaloo i have not i've seen clips and whatnot but i've never seen the movie the whole way through no oh and also uh nat king cole does narration uh singing narration uh, right. throughout the movie <laughs> capaloo <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, which, um, the cat blue, like it's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole song. So it's just like, it's so bizarre, yes. um, but so wonderful, but also I don't know if it's wonderful. It's just like all these movies where I, I like parts <laughs> of it and other parts of it. I'm like, what is happening? Sure, where, sure, sure, sure. How many drugs are we doing to create this? Like, <laughs> Um, so you get a lot of that, uh, that, that mix match. Um, one, a couple of things that are, are notable that I want to mention before we move on. Sure. Uh, our honorary award winners this year, uh, include a couple of people who are very significant to the Oscars. Uh, first of all, my favorite director wins the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. Absolutely. Uh, William Wyler. Yes. Um, well deserved. <laughs> Yes, and funny enough, William Wyler's uh, still has a couple of tricks up his sleeve whenever uh, whenever uh, he wins this uh, honorary award. He, uh, he'll he be back in a couple years uh, for Funny Girl. Um, True. I forget and if he gets is... a nomination. Does he get a nomination for Funny Girl? I forget. No, but um, this is actually the year of his last nomination. His last Best Director oh. nomination was for The Collector in this year. Yes, and he did get, um, I think, 10 nominations. Yeah, that sounds that's, right. That's me guessing off the top of my head, but I think I I think I remember reading 10. But, yeah, more um, or less, that sounds right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he uh, goes all the way back to 
directing those great uh, Betty Davis soap operas. And uh, then, of course, he has won Best Picture and Best Director thrice uh, Mm -hmm. with uh, three very different films, Mrs. Miniver, The Best Years of Our Lives, and uh, Ben-Hur. You know which one of those we feel most strongly about if you've been (laughs) listening to this podcast. Um, And then, of course, Roman Holiday and all these other films. I am such a huge fan of him. I'm so glad that he, of course, won this award. But uh, we also got an honorary award for Bob Hope this year. <laughs> um, and if you haven't seen the clip, it's online, of him being presented the honorary Oscar. Um, uh-huh. it's, it's, a very, um, uh, it's, it's a very emotional uh, moment. Arthur Freed, of, um, who's the current uh, Ampass president um, at the time, uh, he uh, presents it to Bob Hope, and he Bob Hope actually does get a couple of honorary awards throughout his uh, tenure as host. Um, even though he'll continue to uh, make jokes about not being nominated <laughs> ever, 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 at ever, every <laughs> at every ceremony until he <laughs> he wraps it up, and he still uh, we still have quite a few years left until Bob Hope's done hosting the Oscars. Um, it, around this point in time is where Bob Hope had that joke. Um, my favorite joke that he told at the Oscars um, was, uh, uh, oh, here we are again, time for the Oscars, or as we call it in my house, Passover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah, he's truly one of the great hosts. Him, Billy Crystal, I was like, you know, they're just too perfect. Yeah, him, Billy Crystal, uh, Whoopi, I think, was a great host. Oh, she was fantastic. Like, I think that's, uh, but I think Bob Hope kind of set the standard for what, I mean, obviously. Oh, yeah. You know, hosting 25 times. He set the standard for what an Oscar host is supposed to do and the kind of jokes they're supposed to make and keep the show moving. Um, Absolutely. So anyway, uh, we got some really great honorary awards this year. Um, and we also um, had some weird ass... 1960s movies up for oscars so uh a lot going on a lot going on in 1965 absolutely do you have any notable snubs that you want to mention this one's tough for me because i i i feel like um i feel like the right movie wins best picture so i have less uh feeling about 1965 than I do about other years just because I'm like, well, yeah, the right thing, the right thing won. Um, Definitely. But, you know, I got to tell you, I I would have enjoyed uh, some kind of nomination for a childhood favorite of mine. Um, And some will not take me seriously when I say this, but uh, I do love me some that darn cat. (laughs) So... (laughs) Where's the Haley Mills love? That's what snubbed, I want to know. Snubbed. Snubbed. Her tiny Oscar was not enough. Hilarious. Yeah, my only notable snub can also kind of tie us into our um, best picture segment of this episode. I think Christopher Plummer should have gotten some love as supporting actor for Sound of Music. Yeah, I think, think he should have ridden that as, train in. What? Do you think they submitted him as uh, as lead? I don't know. I'm honestly not sure. I kind of feel he's more of a supporting character, but I can I can see an argument for leading actor. 
Yeah, I'm just wondering, since he's like the lead male in the film, if they would have True. pushed him for, and that might have hurt his chances. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it is it is interesting. I mean, I, I certainly, if we were going to put him in lead, I certainly would be okay with um, re- replacing this nomination for Olivier for reasons. So, <laughs> for all the reasons, yeah, for sure. Uh, Othello. Um, you can go Google and find out what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Um, uh, but uh, speaking of Othello, we do also get Maggie Smith's first nomination this year. Which, let's be honest, uh, her Desdemona is absolutely faultless. She's perfect. I mean, Maggie Smith is going to continue to be perfect um, for many, many years. Oh, God, uh, I cannot counting. wait to talk about her in later years. <laughs> I want to just very briefly say uh, the person who does win Best Supporting Actor is Martin Balsam, who is one of the great character actors at this period. And if you don't know him, he plays uh, Arbogast in Psycho. Mm -hmm. He's also in Murder on the Orient Express and a whole bunch of other things. He's always wonderful. Very true. Just wanted to say that. All right, let's get into Best Picture of the Year. Uh, Sound of Music. I'm sure both of us have seen this movie a hundred thousand times. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we have. This was actually, this is my introduction to Julie Andrews. I think for most people, it's Mary Poppins. But instead of watching Mary Poppins as a kid, my family would watch Sound of Music a lot as a kid. So this is Julie Andrews to me. And this is, you know, I think when I first watched it, I was still young enough where I thought that, um, the actors were the actual people like there was no separation between character and performer so i actually thought she was maria von trapp for a very long time and so i realized oh this is played by a girl named julie andrews um so yeah to me this will always be uh julie in my heart and so i think she is so good in this movie i love it <laughs> um I mean, like, I, I can't speak to Julie Christie's performance in Darling, but I, I do think that this is Julie Andrews' definitive performance for me. Yes. Um, and I think that she, I, I mean, like, let's just take a moment to talk about what she does here. Because yes. The Sound of Music is a three-hour film. Mm-hmm. And in order for it not to drag, you have to have somebody at the center of that movie who can hold it up on her back and and make it work you know oh yeah Um, definitely and without julie andrews none of this would work julie andrews carries this movie um and it's not to say that the other elements aren't great because they are but it just everything falls apart if julie andrews isn't there you know and yeah i it is one of those in the way that Scarlet is essential to Gone with the Wind in the way that Olivia was essential to the heiress. Julie is essential to the sound of music. Definitely. And, you know, you talk about look at what she does in this movie. She has you captivated in that first moment you see her on screen. I mean, are there are there is there any better like introduction for a character? We've talked about a lot in recent episodes, but I just think that camera swooping down over the hills and you see her out there running and say, it's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. I don't know. Have you seen her? Have you seen her talk about that before? Um, uh, I don't think so. About filming that scene. Um, well, apparently that took a few takes because the, the helicopter kept blowing her over. 
like the, <laughs> the wind from the hell of the helicopter kept knocking her down every single time it would fly by so it took forever to get that <sighs> shot just because she kept getting knocked down oh my god i love that um, that's that and makes she tells sense. she's told it on a couple of talk shows and stuff you can google and find it um but uh but yeah that scene um right from the start you know you and I, I really, this is a movie that, uh, again, is such a great theatrical experience and was made to be such a great theatrical experience because you start the movie by, uh, like, the first two or three minutes of the movie, you're just these panning shots of the area, of, um, uh-huh. of Austria, of right. the mountains. And, um, and then you close in on this little figure that's on a mountain who's singing and... Um, it just, uh, William Wyler does such a good, excuse me, William Wyler, we were just talking about him. He was originally <laughs> oh slated to do this movie, by the way. Can you imagine um, if he had directed this movie? Do you think I mean, it would, it would be, be a totally different? It would be film? so different. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of loving that idea, though. <laughs> but Robert Wise winning his second Oscar here. Um, mm-hmm. And we talked about him a couple of years ago about how The Haunting was snubbed. Um Robert Wise, I have to say, I think is, uh, I mean, like, you and I both um, uh, like West Side Story as well, um, but uh, but beyond those movies, you know, like, those are just, those are like his only musicals. Everything else he does is completely different, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, and uh, he was the editor for Citizen Kane, so um, it's no wonder he can pace a movie even when it's this long, because... He learned about cutting or, or was cutting, you know, the best movie of all time at one point in time. So very true. And um, you bring up a good point. This movie does flow very, very well. It is three hours, but I don't know, you know, you know, you and I kind of bitch and moan about long movies a lot on this podcast, but there are certain instances where the runtime doesn't bother me. And this one no. doesn't. It really doesn't. The, the the story just has to justify the length. And in this case you know um you uh, it do, you don't feel like there's superfluous material you know yeah um it it just it it flows very well all of the songs are great you know um this is i mean like the score of this movie is just absolutely gorgeous and um i mean we all reference these songs in everyday conversations like without thinking about the fact that we're referencing the sound of music you know oh um, definitely how many times have you made a, a number joke off of 16 going on 17? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, yeah. Um, like these songs still get sung today. You know, the uh, Do, Re, Mi song, like uh, a few of my favorite things. Like these songs are just a part of our music culture forever. Oh, yeah. Um, and in fact, that's uh, where I first uh, saw this movie. It was in a, a music class <laughs> when oh, I was sure. like. Um, I don't know, eight or nine, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't watch it with my family though, and then I didn't really see it um, until I was nineteen, which seems mm. so late, you know. Yeah, um, it does. But I watched it. Um, someone gave me the the DVD as a present, and um, like the two disc, you know, whatever collector's oh, yeah. edition. Um, back in the day when we collected DVDs um, <laughs> before Blu-ray, before stre- streaming. And um, I watched it on my computer, um, in my room, in my bed, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was just transfixed. 
Like I, I was like, how have I not been watching this repeatedly all the time? Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, like the one of the things there's so many things that you could talk about with this movie, but what I really want to specifically call out is what I think is some of the most beautiful, um, and unfortunately not Oscar winning, but beautiful cinematography ever. Oh, like, absolutely, this yes. This movie is gorgeous. Is so gorgeous. Like, the Do-Re-Mi scene, um, which Do-Re-Mi is, like, a great scene on its on its surface, but there's some shots um, with uh, the kids running alongside a little stream, and, um, and whenever they go around that huge fountain, and whenever they're doing the... Um, the notes on the steps, you know, yes, yeah, like yeah. all of that stuff is so well staged and so well shot. And the shots of, um, Christopher Plummer and Julie Andrews inside of the gazebo. Oh, you yes. Know? It has that like soft lighting in it and they just kind of yes. like glisten. It's amazing. Oh, it's so <laughs> it's good. And I will say the cinematography of Dr. Zhivago is uh, the best part of the movie. Um, and they, it is, I can understand why that one, I am saying like, there's a magic to every element of sound of music. It's, it's just, um, I don't know. It's lightning in a bottle. Oh yeah. It's great. Now I want to ask you something. I was, uh, looking at old reviews of this when it came out back in 65 and the only like critique that I saw repetitively over and over from reviewers was that this movie is just too overly sweet it's too sentimental what do you say to that i'm curious well i'll be interested to hear what you say uh, because <laughs> you um have probably the biggest saccharine um detector of anyone i know <laughs> but um i uh i feel like i feel like the the sweetness is always justified in the film. I don't feel like it's it's not organic. I feel like it is uh, largely because of the performances of Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. Everything's sold. Also, we can't not um, give a nod to the seven kids because we get seven really solid... Um, well, six of them are child performances. One of them is actually an adult playing a 16-year-old. Right. Um, <laughs> And uh, and all of them do a good job of not being too cutesy, not being too, you know, like ugh, child actor, you know. Right. Yeah, like yeah. they they do have a certain naturalness about them, uh, for the most part, and um, and they each have a they each have their own personality, um, and Julie Andrews though just really I, I don't i feel like she undercuts sweet moments if that makes sense yeah you know she doesn't she realizes that if she's too earnest she's going to um she's going to make it gross and you know and oh, and so she, and and christopher Plummer, of course famously hated this movie right um and wouldn't talk about it for years and years and years he actually didn't do anything related to it until um oprah got the whole cast back together um on her final season of her talk show oh, um wow. but uh 
but he also like he he's not having any of the the saccharine sweetness and robert wise is not a saccharine director and so all of this material that may have come off too sickly sweet on the stage doesn't on screen because the leading people behind it are determined to make this um to make this into something uh that has some heft to it and you get the nazis in there you know yes and, i was just what i was gonna say with the background of it being you know the annexation of austria during the nazi occupation of germany it does have that um sort of uh, yeah bite to it um uh, all like yeah. under the surface here and i mean like let's look at who the 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 person who adapted the book was uh ernest lehman who um wrote north by northwest and mm-hmm. um who's it did the adaption for who's afraid of virginia wolf in 1966 and um and yeah he had he also did west side story and hello dolly and and king and i but like he did sabrina he did executive suite he did all somewhere up there's like somebody up there likes me which is a boxing movie mm-hmm. you know like sweet smell of success he he did things that um that did not um that did not uh were very gritty is i guess what i'm saying and so i feel like those people come in and i don't understand the argument that it's too sweet um and i feel like no one's looking if you say that you're not looking at the depth you're not looking at the things that are going on beyond the surface and like beyond the songs too, I think people can get caught up in just the songs, which might you know taken out of context. And I think when we got the the live musical version of this with Carrie Underwood, and Ugh. you don't have yes, Ugh. you don't have the performance behind the music, and it's just the songs. That is where I can see this can start to go into that overly sentimental territory. But with the movie, there's such a great balance of. The songs, which might be a little schmarmy, but it works with the with the proper performance, as you said, especially especially by Julie Andrews and the nuns. Too. We should talk about the nuns here for a moment because they might be my oh favorite my part of the movie. The ending when they take the 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 Nazis like car engine apart and she's just like, forgive me, mother, I have sinned. It's like one of my favorite parts. It's so good. Oh, it's so it's so wonderful. And <laughs> um, also uh, one of the nuns is played by Marnie Nixon um no way which one uh she is in the song how do you solve a problem like maria uh-huh. she's the one that says she's the one who's like defensive of maria in the song oh she's she the says, sweet one absolutely that's her yes a will of a oh, wisp man. i think she sings a will of a wisp gotcha um, oh my gosh that's totally her i love that yeah she has a very sweet face um you you you'll pick her out right away definitely um, uh yeah so we actually get to see the face of the dubber of the stars i mean yes what does sound of music not have to offer is really what the the question is. i'll tell you what it does have to offer peggy wood holy balls she is great as mother what's abyss is that right abyss. mother yeah that's uh, right yeah yeah, I mean, um, her the climb every mountain number is one of the most breathtaking musical performances on I film. Really I really hate to tell you, you know, she didn't sing that. Climb every mountain. 
I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. It's amazing. <laughs> um, I, I, I just like, I, I was afraid to, um, I was afraid to tell you that, that she, um, I'm not going to lie up until this point, I did think it was her. So you've sort of, um, ruined the magic for me, but I also um, know this is Hollywood and I understand. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, so um, here's some fun trivia. I have some Marnie Nixon trivia for you. Oh, bring it on. Okay. Um, she was married to a composer named Ernest Gold, mm. um, who is most famous for doing the Exodus, um, the movie Exodus, their music, which has become kind of a, you would probably recognize it if you heard it. Also did sure. Mad Mad World and some other movies. And they had a son named Andrew Gold. Okay who became a very prominent uh, rock instrumentalist um, working uh, with several different bands, including uh, being part of the backing band for Linda Ronstadt in the 70s. Oh, wow. But uh, he also um, had a couple of top 40 hits, including um, a song that would later be re-recorded um, it was written by him, and the song would later be re-recorded and become a famous theme song, the song "Thank You for Being a Friend," which oh <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so that's how we get Marty Nixon to the Golden Girls. <laughs> wow, I love that trivia. That's great. Isn't that great? <laughs> so her son wrote the theme song from the Golden Girls. There you go. Fabulous. I love that. Uh huh. Um, I I'm just full of I'm full of trivia for you. Yes. Um, real briefly, let's uh, let's talk about the competition this year. Sure. Um, I mean, as briefly as you can talk about a movie that's, I don't know, six hours long, however long it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, uh, of course, uh, we have another Stanley Kramer movie in this year, uh, a movie called The Thousand Clowns, which won Martin Balsam, Best Supporting Actor, uh, Darling, which won Julie Christie, her Oscar for Best Actress, which, uh, congratulations, Julie. <laughs> um uh she's she's still kicking too <laughs> yes, she um uh but then uh the big competition for sound and music also got 10 nominations also got 10 award uh, also got five awards just like sound and music um is uh dr shivago which is um a long movie about uh russia um during the um russian revolution um and uh stars uh omar sharif uh looking quite good i will say the whole film (laughs) um (laughs) yes uh and he actually is um torn in this movie between excuse me um geraldine chaplin uh daughter of charlie and um julie christie Uh, there she is again there she is again um, and it is a very long movie, but it was hugely, hugely successful. Um, oh, second only in 65 to Sound of Music. Um, and has, uh, is known for having this uh, song, uh, Lair- Lara's Theme, um, which is um, the big uh, linchpin of the musical score by Maurice Jari, who did um all the famous uh david lean scores Mm. um and i i I just would be remiss not to mention it because it is a very famous film uh based on a famous novel 
as well and it is epic um it is interesting um it has some very striking visual work (sighs) but alas (laughs) alec guinness is in it rod steiger (laughs) ralph richardson the cast is great wow um i mean it made over a hundred million dollars but uh man it is a long movie um but i'm sure somebody (laughs) is a huge fan of it and maybe if i watch it again after the pandemic because i'll just be so happy to see a movie in a theater and someone plays it maybe i'll like it then maybe but or maybe not so far i've just i've not disliked it or liked it it's just been there sure that's all i have to say about dr shivago yeah, I've never seen I Can't Comment, but I'm pretty sure that The Sound of Music is better than Dr. Zhivago, and it's probably it held up a little bit better. It is. I mean, like, I don't know anyone watching Sound of, uh, Dr. Zhivago annually, mm. the way that people probably watch The Sound of Music every year. So For sure. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, my final thought on Sound of Music is this, and I feel like this is why I'm, I'm kind of solidifying um my reasoning for disliking mary poppins so much which i got into last episode um the reason why i don't i think i don't like mary poppins is because that's what julie andrews wins her oscar for when i think this should be the movie she wins for and i just have to think that if she if mary poppins didn't exist or if she wasn't in mary poppins this would be her oscar and it would just be so much more deserving there that's my piece with mary poppins i think i think i hold a grudge against it for that reason I I don't disagree with you. I mean, like, it's tough to imagine a Mary Poppins that doesn't have Julie Andrews, because um, she right. does kind of define that. I guess we did, I say it's tough to imagine, but we did got one a couple years ago. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, uh, this is, this is her... This is her best performance um, of, I mean, like, uh, to be fair, there are many Julie Andrews movies I have not seen, mm-hmm. but um, of the ones I have seen, this is her definitive performance and role. And she is just absolutely astounding in it. I think it, I like one of the best examples of that is how subtly she matures throughout the movie too. Yes, you know? very true. It is an entire arc that she goes on. Very, very true. I mean, like, the the kind of quiet strength that she has um, in that scene uh, where they reprise uh, 16 going on 17. Yes. Um, after she comes back from her honeymoon. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, totally. And I mean, is there a more powerful and unfortunately necessary um, image than, than uh, Christopher Plummer ripping that Nazi flag? oh yeah that's so true that is great you're right yeah no it has a lot of great visuals in it it's yeah to me it's far and away um the deserving movie of 1965 to win best picture i totally can't see another one winning well fine this year has (laughs) has made us not uh this year academy this year we didn't have much to say next year well, it also proves, too, just for my own kind of redemption, that it does prove that I do like classic movie musicals. There are a few. This is one of them. Yeah. I mean, you were a little you were a little mean to West Side Story a few weeks ago, but you... <laughs> I did. I was, yeah. <laughs> but you still like it. 
So true. You know that there that I, you know, there's there have been ones you liked. I I think that we've just completely busted that myth. You know. Good. Thank goodness. That's my redemption. Thank you. Uh, okay. What are we getting into next episode? Nineteen sixty six. Well, um, at the 39th Oscars, we will be um, we will be doing something that I have been trying to do for years, Sam. Do you know what that is? <laughs> is it watch the movie A Man for All Seasons? No, it's find a man for all seasons. <laughs> I... <laughs> wow, I felt that in my bones. <laughs> um, I mean, that's all I'm asking for. Um <laughs> But uh, but yes, we're gonna find out what all all about what a man for all seasons is all about. Yes, um, and we're gonna try to figure out how it uh, won over Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That will be the question. That certainly will be the question. <laughs> all right, so join us next week here, folks, as we talk about the movies of 1966. Oh, I never